All right, so welcome back. And um, like I said earlier, I'm really grateful that we have an opportunity to regather after having missed last weekend. Um, it's always good to be with you. And so today, um, I wanted to start with just a couple of, of interesting backgrounds to some, some people I'm sure you've heard of. Um, so I didn't know if you knew that with Martin Luther King Jr., um, he graduated from seminary, and his plan was just to become a pastor at a small church. Um, he wanted to eventually get his Ph.D. and start a family, and his sort of dream and his goal was to become a professor of theology at a local seminary. And Mahatma Gandhi grew up also in a modest family, and that was his aim in life, was to simply um, start a family and become a lawyer. And so he became a lawyer and started a failed law practice, which made him move to South Africa, where he planned on uh, working for a local law firm, and again, just settling down, relaxing, and staying in a sort of quiet, modest life. Susan B. Anthony, grew up in a family that fought for social reform, and yet she had no desire to participate in that herself. She worked as a headmistress at a school before she eventually took over the family farm, and she was so disinterested in sort of justice work that she would consistently skip the local women's rights conventions that were held at her local church. Um, and she actually, at one point, remembers thinking and saying that she was not ready to vote, nor did she ever want to be able to vote. But as we know about these three people, none of them remained in their sort of quiet, modest lifestyles that they had planned out for themselves. Um, they all ended up doing much greater things than simply being a pastor or a lawyer or someone working on a farm. They didn't plan to do these things. Their, their goals and dreams in life were not to eventually change the world and to lead, lead these movements of social justice and great change that benefit a lot of people. They weren't trained to do those things. They hadn't prepared their whole lives. You could say that they were maybe unprofessionals at being prophets, that they were maybe not qualified. I'm sure if you were to ask them at the time when they started to do these things, if they felt qualified and adequate to literally change the world, I'm not sure that any of them would have said that they were. And yet, because they felt a call towards a greater truth and a greater justice, and because they felt moved by the circumstances that surrounded them, each of them became names and people that we easily recognize and that we easily associate with truth-telling and being prophets in our world. And, and the reason I bring these three people up and sort of talk about their backstories is because it relates to our scripture that um, we're going to look at today. And our scripture comes from the book of Amos, um, which is one of the uh, minor prophet books from the Hebrew Bible. And so Amos was one of these prophets that God called to sort of um, rise up and challenge the power structures and the way that things were being done within Israel. And so Amos um, had received these visions from God where God was like, all right, you're going to go to the temple and you're going to tell them that their ruler is corrupt. You're going to tell them that you're going to change the way that things are going to go, that God is going to come in and shake the foundation of the way in which the Israelites live. Like, you're going to do that. And Amos was like, 
okay, I guess since you, God, are calling me to do this, I will attempt to do this. So he does start doing this. He does start proclaiming these messages and these visions and sort of these prophecies to the Israelites. And so at the point in the story where we're going to kind of come in with our scripture, Amos is being confronted. He has just sort of done another vision where he's told the people that these are the things that are about to change because this is what God wants. And the leader of the uh, temple comes out and confronts Amos. And so that's sort of where we enter into our story. And so it's Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 15. And it says, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, then sent the following message to Jeroboam, the ruler of Israel. Amos is plotting against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The country can no longer tolerate what he keeps saying, for this is what he says. Jeroboam is going to die by the sword, and Israel is going into exile from its land. And Amaziah told Amos, Go away, seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there. Do your prophesying in Bethel. This is the royal sanctuary, the national temple. And Amos answered, saying, I am no prophet. Nor am I the disciple of a prophet. I was a shepherd and gathered figs for food. But God took me from herding the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people in Israel. And so Amos is confronted by this priest who is unhappy with the message that Amos is sharing with the people of Israel. And Amos called, or or the priest calls Amos a seer and then tells him to go make his money being a professional prophet. And this actually would have been like a really big insult to Amos because back in those days, professional prophets were basically paid liars. So professional prophets were paid by rulers or by kings to essentially agree with whatever the king was saying. So that way, if the king was like, all right, we're going to go to war with this country and take them over, he could then be like, well, let me consult the prophets and the seers and see what they say. And then the prophets would always come back and be like, we've read the signs, and yep, the gods or God or whoever thinks that we should go to war with this country. So professional prophets were basically people who were paid by rulers to always agree with whatever the ruler was doing so that way it gave more legitimacy to what they're doing so when this priest of god tells amos to go basically be a professional prophet that's like a a real insult to amos it wasn't just like a hey here's a cool suggestion to make some money he's basically saying like you're a liar so you should at least be getting paid to lie about these things um And Amos just sort of calmly replies by saying, well, I can't be a professional prophet because I'm not a prophet, nor do I work with or under a prophet. I was simply a shepherd, and then God came to me and told me to start sharing these visions with people. So he was just a shepherd, living a quiet life, no goals or dreams of changing the world or of being a prophet. He was um, untrained, probably uneducated, probably thought he wasn't qualified to do anything other than a shepherd, and yet God calls him. And so that's sort of um, why I titled this The Unprofessional Prophet, because it's in direct 
opposition to what it meant to be a professional prophet who sort of pays and gets lied. There were people who God calls to be prophets who were not prepared or trained to be prophets, yet who were the ones who were speaking actual truth into this world. And it's a really interesting sort of um, juxtaposition in this story because, you know, as we know, Amos is simply just a shepherd who was told by God to start speaking these things into the world. And he's going head to head with the head priest of the temple. And back then, in order to be a priest, like you were trained since you were a child. You were sort of groomed to memorize scripture, to memorize the religious rituals that took place in those days. So if anyone was to be considered a professional, it would have been this priest. And if there was anyone who was considered unprofessional, untrained, and unqualified, it would have been Amos. And yet, as readers, we know that God is calling the untrained shepherd to carry God's message. We know that in these moments of this story, that Amos is proclaiming more truth in these moments than this priest has probably ever proclaimed in his entire life. Um, and, and God, more often than not, and we see this constantly throughout the Bible, that God chooses the unprofessional to be the one who speaks truth and justice into the world. I think that God enjoys partnering with sort of the unprofessional prophets because a lot of times when, when you are not a professional at what you do, that you know, there's a better chance that you don't desire power, that you carry with you less pride. Um, I think that someone in Amos's position has probably made mistakes in his life. He probably understands that he has faults in his life, which gives him the ability to act with grace when he encounters other people's mistakes, other people's faults. He's probably faced hard times in his life. He probably hasn't had it super easy. Um, shepherds were, were not, you know valued members of society all the time. They were sort of on a lower class of the social ladder. And so, you know, he has probably faced injustice in his life, which again prepares him to fight for justice on behalf of other people because he has probably experienced it himself. And all of this would have prepared him to speak truth uh, into the world, even if we might think it was the opposite sort of experience that he was having. Um, I've often found, and I think God often finds this to be true, that it's the most unprepared among us that are the most prepared to do these kinds of things. And I think one of the reasons for that might be that if you are unprepared, then you at least haven't prepared for the wrong things, or at least you haven't prepared to do something that God doesn't want us to be doing. Um, and it's, it's always interesting to me... Um, that God has the ability and the desire to work with people who we would probably think are the wrong type of people for God to be working with. Um, you know, God, when it comes to speaking truth into the world, God doesn't need someone who went to seminary and was trained to be a pastor. God doesn't need someone who has memorized the scriptures front to back. God doesn't need someone who has... Um, 
read every book on theology or understands how to talk about uh, soteriology or all of these big fancy words that we can get into with theology. All that God needs are people who are willing to respond to the call to justice. And we see this over and over in scripture. Um, We see when God calls Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, Moses believes he's incredibly not qualified, and he begs God to choose someone else. He's like, God, you, you've probably made a mistake here. I'm not the right person for this job. And God is like, no, Moses, I'm choosing you for a reason. We see it with Jonah, who literally tries to run away from God when God calls Jonah to do this type of work because he's scared. He doesn't believe he's qualified. He doesn't know how to do it. And yet, in the end, he becomes an incredibly powerful powerful prophet in the Bible because God partners with him. We see this with Paul, um, who wrote many of the New Testament letters. He used to persecute Christians. And so when God calls him to move into the work of spreading the gospel of Jesus, Paul initially is like, I can't be me because I used to persecute these people. So how can it, how can I be the prophet that you're calling me to be. And so we have all of these examples of all of these sort of unsavory characters who have lots of flaws, who have made lots of mistakes. We see with King David, who we sort of think of as one of the greatest biblical characters. He did a lot of really awful things. He made a lot of mistakes. He had a lot of faults. But God was able to work through him to do a lot of good as well. So that God has the ability to take people, which includes us, in our mistakes and our flaws and our doubts and our fears and moves us into positions where we can change the world and help those around us. And so God just needs us to respond to the call to justice. And God needs people who are willing to take risks and get into a little bit of trouble. Um, Fighting for justice is not always the safest or easiest path that we can take. As we see in our scripture from today, Amos was threatened um, and he was confronted by this priest because of the message that he was sharing. And it got all the way up to the ruler of Israel was told about this and warned about this. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested over 30 times for his work in civil rights and eventually assassinated for the message that he was telling the world. Gandhi was beaten and arrested multiple times before he also was assassinated for his work. Susan B. Anthony, her life was threatened multiple times and she found herself in prison multiple times because of her courage and her desire to get women equal rights. So speaking truth in this world can be risky. Um, And I'm not saying, like, go out there and get assassinated, but... That's not like the message I'm trying to get across here. Um, But what I am trying to say is that we are are collectively called to move in this direction of justice. And we have to understand that there are going to be risks that come with that justice work. Because the truth that God often calls us to is truth that directly clashes with power. It is truth that directly clashes with structures that exist in our world that are there to help a specific few people maintain power and privilege while the rest of the people in the world are exploited and um, 
lose any privilege that they might have. And the people who are in power are not super willing to give that up. Um, you know, like, uh, and it might be from sort of this place of they want to maintain their power and they're going to do anything they can to do it. But I'm sure you've also heard the quote that to those in power, equality feels like oppression because their power has to decrease in order for others to get more privilege and more power. And so that feels like they're the ones being oppressed. So it, it also sometimes comes out of that fear and out of that not recognition. But whatever the case is, people who have power, it's really hard for them to give it up. And a lot of times they're going to fight to the end to keep that power. And that's where the risk comes in. Because those in power will seek to extinguish the words that we are trying to speak into the world. They will leverage their privilege to make sure that they maintain that privilege. But we have to believe deep down that the truth of God will eventually win out and that we have to keep pushing in that direction. But we also have to be careful, not only because of the risks that we might encounter when we sort of move into these spaces, but also because sometimes we are the ones who are maintaining our power and privilege. So a lot of times when we read these types of stories, we like to imagine ourselves like as Amos. We want to be the ones who are called to fight who God is saying, like, get in there and speak truth to power and like fight for this truth. But a lot of times we're the priest or we're Jeroboam, the ruler. We're the ones who are like, that's a dangerous message. You should shut up because that's going to like change the way the world works and we as a result might lose some of our power and privilege. And so we are certainly called to fight for truth, but a lot of times we are in the position of the ones fighting against truth because of our own fear or insecurity or greed or selfishness or whatever it looks like that we have to be careful that we are not the ones who are acting like the priest from our scripture today. Because this priest rushes in to defend the very structure that gives him his authority. So God is coming in and saying like, hey, the way in which you guys are doing things right now is harming people. And you've moved away from the sort of desires that I have for you. And so we're going to like shake up this structure and we're going to change things so that it's better for everyone. But the priest recognizes that this structure is what gives him his authority and his power in this world. So he is sort of inclined immediately to defend <clears throat> this structure because God is threatening to tear that structure down. Um, so in, and so it's, it's, it's interesting because we want to also be careful that we're not standing on the structure when it comes falling down, right? Like we want to be part of the group that's helping reframe and restructure the way that the world works. That, you know, sometimes we're called to be the prophets and sometimes we're called to listen to the prophets. And we have to understand when we're supposed to speak the truth and when we're supposed to listen to the truth. And we have to be careful that we don't find ourselves in the position of the priest and that instead we find ourselves in the position of Amos. And in one of the visions, <clears throat> sort of early on, that comes like right before this scripture, in the vision that God sort of sends to Amos for him to tell, um, God is holding a plumb line next to a wall and says that Israel will be measured by this plumb line. And I did not know what a plumb line was, so I had to like Google this. Um, but a plumb line was used by builders to ensure that a wall was like truly vertical. And so it's basically like a string with a weight on it that they would like hang up 
or they would hang and then it would you know go down to the ground and so that as they built the wall they would they would sort of line it up with that plumb line to make sure that the wall was always perfectly vertical. And so if a wall ever got damaged or if it was ever sort of shifted over time, they could just drop the plumb line again and reset the wall to line up with that plumb line. And so in the same sense, or or sort of what God is trying to say in this passage, is that we were created with a plumb line to make sure that we maintained true vertical. Or this idea that we were created with this blueprint, with this specific idea of, of who we're supposed to be. And that blueprint was, again, I always come back to this, but it was the fact that we were created in the image of God. And that is the plumb line in which we're supposed to align ourselves with and follow. Um, And so in this vision, God is saying that the people of Israel have moved so far away from the fact that they were created in the image of God that it's time for God to come in and help them realign themselves. So they have chosen greed and fear and power and pride um, in their current sort of structure, in their current society, instead of the love and the grace and the generosity that we were created in. And so they have forgotten the image in which they were created, and God is saying, I'm here to restore that image within you. I'm here to drop this plumb line and realign you with who you're supposed to be. And this is a really powerful and necessary message But it's a really difficult one for us to hear sometimes because we don't want to believe that the way we're living our life is not aligned with the way that God is calling us to live. We don't want to believe that we've chosen a path or that we've chosen specific things that don't match up with who we were created to be. And yet we need that constant reminder that there is this image in which we were created that we want, that's inside of ourselves that we just don't always realize is there or we've forgotten or we've lost track of. But it's there and it's our plumb line and it's our way of realigning ourselves. And God is calling us out of systems of power and out of structures of privilege back into that image in which all of us were created. Because if we all lived into that image more fully and more completely, then a lot of the problems that we face in our world, a lot of the ways in which people are oppressed and marginalized would not be there. They would not be as severe as they are because we would be living into that love and that inclusion and that justice and that generosity. And so this is a super important message that these Israelites needed to hear at this time. And it's still a super important message that we need to hear in our day and age, currently in our world. And I I always find it so interesting that this message, which was so important, was not given to the head priest. It was not given to a trained religious leader or to someone who had wealth and power and standing and status. But instead, it was given to a random shepherd who God randomly called forward to speak this truth into the world. That it wasn't someone we would have expected, but someone we would have never expected. But it's that person who God decided was worthy enough to carry this message forward to God's people. And that always leads me to wonder, what kinds of messages is God calling us to as individuals? Even if we think we're unqualified, 
or inadequate, or we've made too many mistakes, or we have too many faults or flaws, that we're not the right person to bring about change into this world. If we just look at Scripture, even from a super zoomed out view, it's always the people who feel inadequate, who feel not good enough, who feel like they have too many flaws or they've made too many mistakes, that are the one that God constantly uses and works with and partners with to change the world around them. And so that's my takeaway and my challenge for you this week is to think about, regardless of how you might view yourself or how you might feel about your ability to speak truth into this world, imagine the different ways that God might be calling you to live a more just life in this world and to fight for justice for those around us. Because each of you is capable of doing that. And God, I have no doubt that God wants to partner with each and every one of you to change this world for the better. And so wipe away whatever you might think about your qualifications, wipe away the mistakes or your faults or your flaws, and sit with God and ask God, how do you want to work with me and through me to be a change agent in this world? And think about how can you become another one of God's unprofessional prophets? Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we are thankful that you are present with us, that you call us to move forward in this world as people who have the power and the ability to speak truth into some of the darkest corners of our world. We are grateful that we have you by our side so that no matter what qualifications or flaws or faults that we might find in ourselves, we know that we are capable and able to be people of justice and of love and of inclusion. So I pray that you continue to move us as individuals and as a community in that direction, that you move us to be people who love so radically that we have no choice but to change the world around us. We are grateful for your continued presence, your continued love, and your continued urging, moving us into being better people for a better world. We pray for all of these things in your holy name. Amen.